What is up, guys? It is the Blue Blood tier back with another Week 10 college football preview, and we are headed to the Big Ten. We have an extremely impactful Big Ten matchup going down in West Lafayette this Saturday as we got the Goliath Killers in Purdue hosting the top three ranked Michigan State Spartans. And this game not only has major implications for the Big Ten, but also the college football playoff, man. As the Spartans right now are tied with Ohio State for the Big Ten East lead, and Purdue is only one game back of Minnesota out in the West, and both these teams have to continue to win, and this is a big win for both of these teams if it can happen this weekend to find a way to get to Lucas Oil Stadium for that Big Ten championship game. But Right now, the Spartans are three-point favorites in the game that kicks off at 2.30 p.m. Central Time on ABC, man. So let's set the stage before we get to the keys of the game. And it all starts with the Spartans coming into this matchup 8-0, 5-0 in the Big Ten. They're coming off in an extremely emotional top 10 win over number six, Michigan. And the Spartans look to continue the Cinderella run that they've had under Mel Tucker this season all the way to the college football playoff. And this is a huge test for the Spartans as now they're no longer the underdogs. They got the target on their back. And as we all know, it's a lot different. It's a lot different when you're the when you're the most wanted. When you're no longer the one hunting, you are the most wanted. And so we're going to find out how Mel Tucker squad responds. And it all starts with this sneaky road game against the Boilermakers. Now, on the flip side, the Boilermakers come into this one five and three, three and two in the Big Ten, looking for their second top three upset of the season, and the Boilermakers have a long history of being the Goliath Slayers, man. Nine wins over top two teams, which leads the country for any program ever. So if you can do that to top two teams, maybe a top three team might be an easy task for Jeff Brom's squad. But in all actuality, this would make Purdue like folklore legendary if they got another top three upset. Jeff Brom's team is going to step up to the occasion. They're not going to be afraid of the moment. So look out for this one. This one's going to be a great game to tune into at 2.30. Now, looking back at this series, man, it has a long history stretching all the way back to 1918, which is the first time these two teams have met up. And the Spartans currently lead the all-time series 36-28 to with three ties throughout the history over the Boilermakers. Now, currently... The Spartans are in the midst of an eight-game win streak. The last Boilermakers win coming in 2006 in East Lansing. So it's been a long time, and the Boilermakers said, man, it is not a better time than y'all being top three in the country for us to get that first win. So everything is on the line in West Lafayette this weekend. But the stage is set. Let's get into some game action, man. The key for the Spartans, let's start here could not be more clear. Anytime they are on my show, you know what it is. When you have the best running back in the country, you got to keep the ball on the ground with Kenneth Walker the third, and you have to force this Boilermakers defense to stop you. They have the number eight rush defense in the Big Ten right now, allowing about 140 yards per game on the ground. So the Spartans have to take advantage of that if possible this weekend. Over 200 yards per game on the ground for the Spartans, over five and a half yards per carry 
while the Spartans do live off of play action a lot with almost 40% of their dropbacks are off the play action concept. So the run game plays a huge role in this offense being the focal point and also setting up the passing attack throughout the game. And y'all, y'all, y'all have to know his name if you've tuned into this channel or if you're just a college football fan. It all starts with Kenneth Walker III. Over almost 1,200 rushing yards, over six and a half yards per carry, 14 rushing touchdowns, and why not? He also has a receiving touchdown, but he leads the country in yards per game, top three in rushing touchdowns, and he's and he's one of the Hosman favorites right now, and he is by far. Currently, as I'm talking, the best running back in college football. And then, of course, you've got, you've got the Jordan Simmons sitting behind him that's done his thing with about 200 yards rushing, almost five yards per carry. And he's kind of the rotational guy, but Kenneth Walker is the, war, is the workhorse, and he also is the focal point of this offense. I'm expecting a heavy dose of Walker this weekend, especially coming off his five-touchdown performance in which he was the first-ever player to rush for five touchdowns against Michigan in their program history. So Kenneth Walker is on a roll, and any key for Michigan State relies on Kenneth Walker running the football. Like I said last week, the offensive line uses a rotational method where they have probably eight to ten guys that can get snaps on the offensive line each game, and it's been working. They're one of the best in pass protection in the Big Ten, and they've paved the way for the number one running back in the country. So let's give Michigan State some credit here. But the passing game has been solid this year. Peyton Thor might not have had the best game last week, but he has had moments where he's been able to make his plays for this team. Yes, he didn't have a great week last week, like I just said, but he made a handful of throws. Like the fourth down throw that he made where he threw the fade route to the pylon was absolutely perfectly placed, and he had a few other plays he made on crucial third and fourth downs that really helped the Spartans overcome that 16-point deficit that they saw against Michigan last week. But he's still thrown for over 1,800 yards, 15 touchdowns, six picks, and two rushing touchdowns. He's still top 20 in pass efficiency this season, which is a huge step up from where he was last year. And, you know, I mentioned how often they use the play action. On play action passes, he's thrown for over 1,000 yards. His average yards per attempt jumps up to 12 10 touchdowns, only one turnover off the play action, and 10 big-time throws. So that is where Peyton Thorne really thrives in the passing game. And so this weekend, the Spartans have to run the football and allow Peyton Thorne to ease into this game against a very good Purdue defense. They're only allowing about 160 yards through the air per game. That is elite production. So for me, allowing Peyton Thorne not to have to carry this offense is the number one thing. This is a huge test for Kenneth Walker's Hosman campaign. They cannot overlook Purdue, and they cannot have an emotional win last week and a letdown this week like we've seen team after team this year happen. This year has been chaotic. Top 10, top five teams have been dropping like flies. Michigan State has to be focused this weekend because Purdue is not going to be a pushover at five and three, and especially in West Lafayette. Now, for the Boilermakers, it's the complete opposite. As much as you know, Michigan State has Kenneth Walker in one of the best rushing games in the country, the Boilermakers passing game has been the sole focal point of their offense and is going to be the number one aspect that the Boilermakers are going to have to use to pull off this upset. It was the key with David Bell and Aiden O'Connell having just ridiculous numbers against Iowa. That led them to the top two upset. 
So the playmakers at wide receiver, Aiden O'Connell, quarterback, have to be big play, big time playmakers this weekend for the Boilermakers. When you look at what how they're doing it, they're averaging over 300 yards per game through the air and about 80 yards per carry. I mean, 80 yards per game on the ground. That's the they have the third best passing attack in the Big Ten, and there should be some opportunities this year. Kay McNamara had a huge game last week, and Michigan State's defense is allowing over 300 yards per game. So this could be a huge matchup to watch is can this Michigan State defense get enough stops and that can that defense play that bend but don't break style of defense to avoid the upset. This is a stylistic matchup that a lot of people are worried about, and a lot of people are picking Purdue for the upset. There's been a lot of people that have been reaching out to me talking about if we were going to cover this game and everything like that. Well, a lot of people are have this game as their, their upset alert of the week because of Aiden O'Connell and what he's been doing over the past few weeks. Over 1,500 yards passing, a 71% completion percentage, nine touchdowns, eight picks, and one rushing touchdown. Him and Plummer split some time earlier in the season. But he's number one in the Big Ten in completion percentage. He's sixth in yards with only seven games that he's played in, and he's only started a handful. So Aiden O'Connell has been getting better and better throughout the season, and two of his last three games have been his best. And he really thrives in his short game. You know, I talked about, you know, Thorne working off the play action. O'Connell can can really make plays in the short game because they can trust their playmakers at wide receiver. They have some ballers out at the wide receiver spot that we're going to go over in a second. But when O'Connell can find his rhythm and distribute the ball to his playmakers like a point guard in basketball and let them make the plays in space, that's where this offense thrives with almost 50% of his passes coming at zero to nine yards down the field. And on those short passes, he's completing 85% of them, almost 700 yards passing, five touchdowns, and an 81.4 passing grade. And they've generated over 43 first downs off these short action concepts. And the wide receiving core for the Boilermakers might be one of the more underrated units in the Big Ten, in my opinion. They have multiple guys this weekend that can be the star of the offense. Four different wide receivers have three or more touchdowns this year. And these guys have to have a big performance for the Boilermakers to pull this off. When you look at the past few upsets they pulled, David Bell had a legendary game against Iowa. And then, you, of course, you have that historic Rondell Moore moment when they upset Ohio State in this exact stadium in West Lafayette. So don't sleep on this wide receiving core. And it all starts with a guy who I think is probably a top five wide receiver in the country, and that is David Bell, man. 53 catches, over 780 yards, four touchdowns. He's the number one receiving yard per game leader in the Big Ten, and he leads the Big Ten in catches per game as well. This guy is a playmaker. He's probably the next star wide receiver coming out of Purdue, as they've had you know, with Rondell Moore last year. They're really setting a standard that they're going to have a wide receiver that's going to be big time in the NFL. And then you also have Payne Durham, over 300 yards, four touchdowns, Milton Wright in his own, and I almost said in his own right, but not to be, you know, not to be play off the name, but in his own right could be the next guy up. A lot of people think he's the next guy to follow Bell and follow more to the NFL, over 300 yards and three touchdowns. And TJ Sheffield, also another three touchdown guy in this wide receiving core. 
they have to go make one-on-one plays. You've got to take advantage of, of you know, if you have the mass matchup advantage, you have to take advantage of it to pull off a top three upset like Purdue is planning on this weekend. They have to be consistent. O'Connell has to avoid turnovers, and these wide receivers have to go be playmakers on the outside and go make plays in space. And if they can do that, Purdue's going to have a great chance to win this game, and you can see a replication of what they did against Iowa through the air. Now, the matchup to watch, you know, a lot of people think it could be Michigan State's, you know, defensive backs against Purdue's wide receivers. Some people think Michigan State's O-line against Purdue's D-line. But for me, it's really Purdue's offensive line against the defensive line of Michigan State. Because this Boilermakers game plan revolves around O'Connell having times to make plays through the air while this Michigan State front seven has been one of the better teams of getting to the quarterback. I mean, this is going to be a, a really interesting matchup to watch because it's strength. It's it's really strength versus weakness. And I, I always try to pick one of these, and I think it's going to really determine the game because the Boilermakers offensive line has really struggled at times this season. They're ranked 13th in the Big Ten in sacks allowed with over 23 allowed, only two better than Iowa, who's ranked dead last. And right now, they are allowed, they've allowed almost 75 QB pressures over eight games. And when you look at this offensive line, Spence, uh, you know, t- t- Tyler Witt at the guard spot, Spencer, I believe it's Holsky at the guard spot, they've been the two best offensive linemen, only three combined sacks allowed, only 22 pressures combined. But the offensive tackle spot has been the question marks. All these offensive tackles are going to have to step up against some powerful and powerful and talented edge rushers for the Spartans this weekend. And the number one reason why is O'Connell is a different quarterback under pressure. In that Iowa game, they did a great job of protecting him. He was able to establish his rhythm, make plays down the field, and put some pressure on an Iowa State defensive backfield that was really banged up with Riley Moss and those boys being out of that game. But under pressure, O'Connell's completing less than 48% of his passes. He only has 150 yards passing under pressure, four yards of completion, no touchdowns, an interception, only seven first downs generated in a 42.3 passing grade. That is not going to get the win this weekend over Michigan State. So the number one thing Purdue has to do is to protect O'Connell in the pocket and somewhat try to establish a run game so Michigan State can't just pin their ears back and get after O'Connell. So this is going to be an interesting matchup to see how they handle this Michigan State D-line, who, let's get into them, ranked second in the Big Ten in sacks. They only trail Ohio State by a handful of sacks to be number one in the conference. And the key this weekend will be getting to O'Connell. Don't let him establish himself comfortably in the pocket. Force him into some major mistakes and give the Spartans offense some extra opportunities due to turnovers. They have a handful of guys that can make plays. Before I get to the D-line, Quaverius Couch at linebacker has been one of their top pass rushers, but just he is one of the best blitzers in the country, and he's all over the field, one of the leading tacklers with 65 tackles, one of the top-graded pass rushers on this team, according to Pro Football Focus. So let's give Crouch's due, going to probably be an All-American linebacker this year. But when you look at this off, this defensive line, Simeon Barrow at the D tackle spot, three sacks, 15 hurries from the DT spot. That is huge. He's been a key to this Mel Tucker defense. And then also 
Jacob, I believe it's Panusk or Panusk, seven sacks, 37 QB hurries, according to Pro Football Focus. This kid, the highest graded pass rusher on the entire team, he is a problem off the edge. And if Purdue doesn't account for him, it's going to be a long day for the Boilermakers. And then they also just got a bunch of guys who can get after the quarterback on this front seven. So the key here with this matchup is if Purdue lets O'Connell establish himself, be calm in the pocket, be efficient, and let him distribute the ball to his playmakers. Purdue has a great chance of pulling the upset. But if this front seven gets to the quarterback and that Purdue can't lead on that run game, they're going to be in a lot of trouble because you cannot become one-dimensional because I think Michigan State is going to run the ball, control the clock, and try to keep this Purdue offense on the sideline and really shorten up this game. So this is going to be an extremely important matchup to watch. Saturday afternoon when these two teams, you know, meet on the field. But for my prediction, I've really went back and forth. You know, I've never been afraid to pick upsets on the show. You know, last year I got called insane for picking the TCU over Texas and Iowa State over Oklahoma upsets last year early in the season. But for me, I just don't see how Purdue is going to sneak up on a Michigan State. I think they're going to come ready. Yes, it was an emotional win last week, but I think right now – Kenneth Walker and this team have so much momentum in the season. They're rejuvenated seeing them at third in the college ball playoff poll. I really love Mel Tucker as a coach. I think he's going to have this defense ready to play. I think they're going to get after O'Connell, force him into some mistakes down the stretch. And I expect another big day out of Kenneth Walker. And for me, I don't see, I don't see Peyton Thorne making the mistakes he did last week. So I have Michigan State winning this game this weekend 34 to 24 over the Boilermakers in West Lafayette in a big road win for the Spartans a 10 point win for the Spartans here on the Blue Bloods but guys a huge ACC matchup going down in Chapel Hill this weekend that could not only has college football playoff implications but it definitely could shake up the ACC championship race which is wide open as we enter, enter this final month of you know the regular season November man this is where everything gets decided and so we got number 9 Wake Forest traveling to Chapel Hill to take on UNC who was a preseason top 10 team has had some struggles but this team has some major talent and so this is so I've been keeping track this is the third straight week we've had a top 10 underdog and UNC is the two and a half point favorite for a game that kicks off at 11 a.m live on ABC but three straight weeks the top 10 underdogs Wake Forest is the is the next one and right now you know, you're looking at how these top 10 underdogs have done. Oregon ended up beating UCLA. Oklahoma State did actually lose to Iowa State. And last week, Ole Miss lost to Auburn. So one and two for these top 10 underdogs. So Wake Forest is looking to change, you know, their luck and the luck of top 10 teams who are underdogs. But let's set the stage here, man. The Demon Deacons, man, have entered this one at 8 and 0. 5-0 in the ACC, they've cracked the top 10 in all the major polls, wound up in the top 10 in the initial college football playoff rankings. But, man, Dave Claus's squad has put on an absolute show this year. They've utilized the top five scoring offense to fight their way to one of the best schools, one of the best starts in school history in a long time, and they're looking to make another statement this weekend over over UNC, which th- these teams have a long story past, which we'll get to in a second. But on the other side, man, 
the Tar Heels, as much as Wake Forest has exceeded expectations, the Tar Heels have coming have come in way below expectations. You know, I had them go into the championship game in the ACC, and right now they're sitting at four and four, three and three in the ACC, and they have been on an absolute roller coaster this season. They've they have not had a win streak over two games, and they've alternated between wins and losses for six weeks now. And now it's up for Sam Howell and this offense to find a way to pull off a top ten upset this weekend. They had a big chance last weekend against Notre Dame, fell just short in their upset bid, but. When you look at this series, it stretches back to 1888, one of the longest and storied and storied rivalries in college football. But the Tar Heels hold the advantage 70 to 36 with two ties over the Demon Deacons. But this series since 2000 is tied up six to six. And anything can happen in Chapel Hill this weekend as these two teams always seem to put on a great show and anyone can win any matchup regardless of where they're ranked. So I don't think either team's coming in sleeping on their opponent. But we got we got the table set for one of these big matchups. Let's get into the keys of the game. And we're going to start with the Demon Deacons of Wake Forest, man. And it's easy. It's put the ball in Sam Hartman's hands and let him do what he's done all season long. And that's go out and make plays, be explosive, lead this offense to a, you know, lead this offense to huge production and go win the game. Sam Hartman has taken such a large step forward that he's become the focal point of this offense. And so for me, Sam Hartman is the key for Wake Forest. Put the ball in your best player's hands and let him go make plays. And then off of that, his his explosive play and his ability as a passer really allows the running backs to take advantage of some light boxes where they're so focused on these explosive wide receivers and Hartman that these Wake Forest running backs can go make some plays. So that's that's the key for me. Let Sam Hartman do his thing, come behind him with the run and take advantage of some light boxes and go make some plays on the ground. And you've got a chance against a UNC defense allowing almost 400 yards per game right now, and they have the 100th-ranked scoring defense with allowing almost 31 points per game. So the opportunity is there for some big numbers for Wake Forest this weekend. Now, when you look at the passing attack, it's been the, one of the best in the country. It's been arguably the number one factor in Wake Forest having the number five scoring offense of the country. And Sam Hartman's development, I think, is the biggest difference that separates Wake Forest this year from previous years where they really haven't they haven't been they've been good. They just haven't put on a show like this. He is the reason they're in the top ten of the country right now. You look at what he's done, almost twenty five hundred passing yards, twenty two passing touchdowns. Six rushing touchdowns with only three interceptions. Top 10 in the country in passing yards. Top five in the country in passing efficiency. Top three in the country in passing yards per attempt. And top 10 again in passing touchdowns in the entire country. Sam Hartman is one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the country right now. And he is play. he, and arguably this season, the ACC is one of, if it weren't for Kenny Pickett, you could argue he might be the best quarterback in the ACC right now. The biggest thing about Hartman this season has been his, been his ability to put pressure on every level of the defense. He can make throws. For in the short in the short game in the intermediate range in the deep ball and he can push it outside the numbers inside the numbers 
his ability to put pressure on all levels and aspects of the defense makes the defense have to play damn near perfect defense every time he, he takes a snap, which is almost impossible. So that's why Sam Hartman's been so electric is if you have a collapse somewhere on your defense, he's got the arm and the decision-making and the ability to make you pay. So that's going to be something to watch this year. I mean, I don't want to get too stat heavy, but if you just listen to how well balanced his attack is on the short yardage, he's got over 75% completion percentage, 600 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers, 41 first downs generated and above an 80 passing grade, according to Pro Football Focus. In the intermediate range, over 600 yards again, seven touchdowns in a 90.5 PFF passing grade. And on deep balls, over 1,100 yards, 22 yards per attempt, 12 passing touchdowns, 14 big-time throws, and has a and has almost a 95 PFF passing grade. That is that is next level production at all levels of the defense. So this UNC defense is going to have to play huge this weekend, or Hartman's going to have another big game. And one of the overlooked aspects of this offense is the wide receiving core. They should get a lot of credit for what this offense is doing right now. And this passing attack has some real playmakers on the outside that I don't think get enough credit for how explosive they've been. Jaquari Robertson at, at, at wide receiver for the Demon Deacons, he's putting himself, you know, they have two receivers, I think, that could put themselves in the Bolitnikoff conversation, starting with Jaquari Robertson and also A.T. Perry as well. Robertson, 43 catches for over 700 yards, over 17 yards per catch and six touchdowns, while Perry has over 700 yards receiving, almost 20 yards per catch and eight receiving touchdowns. These two guys can burn you over the top. They're consistent, and they're the type of playmakers where if they get some one-on-one coverage on the outside, you can trust them to go create their own play. And them and Sam Hartman have some real chemistry right now going into this game. And then on top of that, you still have Taylor Morin and Keyshawn Williams, both over 260 through the air, both with three receiving touchdowns each. So you have probably four to five players on the outside of this Wake Forest offense that you can trust to go have a big game and go make plays if you need to. So for me, the key for Wake Forest is to air it out, put the ball in your best player in Sam Hartman's hands, and let him distribute to these guys on the outside that should be able to have big games against this uh, North Carolina defense. Now, on the flip side, the Tar Heels should be a bit different, but the focal point is the same. It's the quarterback. When you have someone like a Sam Howe at the QB spot, you have to put the ball in his hands as well. But because of the play action being such a, I guess, such a bigger part of the offense for North Carolina, being balanced is the biggest key for North Carolina because when the rushing attack and the passing attack are in sync for the Tar Heels in keeping this, in keeping their opponent's defense off balance, that's when the Tar Heels are the most dangerous. And that's what they haven't been able to do, been able to do consistently this season, week in and week out. And, when you look, their offense is already pretty balanced this year. Over 200 on the ground, over 280 through the air, and they're averaging over two touchdowns on the ground and through the air per game this season. But starting with Howell, over 2,100 yards, 19 touchdowns, seven picks, almost 600 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. Top five in the ACC in passing yards, passing efficiency, and passing touchdowns. So he's one of the best quarterbacks in this conference. 
The biggest thing I think has been missing, and it it is going to play a part with something I'm going to talk about later with the offensive line, is the deep ball for Howell. The deep ball efficiency for Howell has really dropped this season. Now, he did lose some big, big targets to the NFL draft last year, starting with Deami Brown. But this weekend, he's going to have to push the ball down the field against a defense that really and truly isn't great and does allow a lot of explosive plays. I mean, they get they just gave up 56 points to Army. They have trouble stopping teams on the offensive side of the ball consistently. So Sam Howell can put up some points against this Wake Forest defense. But only 18% of his dropbacks have been deep ball passes. Only five touchdowns, has thrown two picks, but he's only completing 26% of his passes beyond 20 plus yards down the field. In comparison, you know, um, on the other side, Hartman, he's completing almost 50% of his passes 20 plus yards down the field. And that's only, that's not great for how, when that's been his bread and butter for the past two seasons. His arm strength is elite. He just hasn't had the burners outside of downs at that wide receiver spot to go get the deep ball. And he has just been missing it. And he also hasn't had great protection because those deep routes take more time to develop. And the offensive line has not been great for how. So that's the number one thing that's been missing from this UNC offense for me. But some positives, he does work really well off the play action. And that's why I picked being balanced as the number one key, because almost 50% of his dropbacks have come off the play action this year. He's generated almost 60 first downs off of play action concepts. He's thrown for over 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, has eight big time throws off the play action. So that is where Howell can really thrive this weekend. If they can get that running game moving and Howell has some time in the pocket, I think he could have a big game this weekend. And the QB battle between Hartman and Howell is going to be absolutely electric. This is going to be a game you are going to want to tune into at 11 a.m. Now, the Tar Heels lost a lot of talent at the running back spot. You look at Javante Williams and Michael Carter, both doing huge things in the NFL. But Tennessee transfer Todd Chandler has done an excellent job for this offense, and he is going to be a key player for the Tar Heels this weekend. Over 600 yards rushing, five and a half yards per carry, nine touchdowns. He's top five in the ACC in rushing yards, touchdowns, and yards, and he's top 10 in yards per carry. So he's been extremely efficient at the running back spot, but they're really missing that one-two punch that they had last year because Harder and Javante Williams were the best duo in college football. Chandler's doing his part. It, I just think the Tar Heels are missing those two guys from last year more than a lot of people expected. Now, when you look at how they do it, though, the Tar Heels are great in terms of outside running off the tackle and bouncing runs off the edge as well. That's going to put a lot of pressure on the DNs and outside linebackers for Wake Forest to go make some plays. They're going to have to be disciplined, and those safeties are going to have to be able to come up and make tackles in the open field or things get out of hand for this Wake Forest defense against this rushing attack. Now, they have over 500 yards rushing, six and a half yards per carry, seven rushing touchdowns, 12 explosive runs, and over 20 first downs generated from off tackle and outside running for the Tar Heels. So for me, you've got to establish the run to help Howell out in terms of the offensive line protection and get that play action working because if Howell has time and he can he can make some plays down the field, uh, North Carolina has a chance to put up a lot of points this weekend. It could pull off a huge upset in front of the home crowd in Chapel Hill. Now, for the matchup to watch, you know, I, I had a real tough time. There were so many I wanted to pick. But for me, 
the number one thing is the offensive line for North Carolina against this Wake Forest defensive line. Because that's going to be the number one X factor this weekend is whether this offensive line can put Hell in good positions to make plays, especially against this strong defensive front of the Demon Deacons. When you look at the O-line for the Tar Heels, that's the, been the biggest question mark for two years for this team. They ranked dead last in the ACC with over 31 sacks allowed this season. And Sam Howell's play has really suffered at times along with the running game against good defenses. Now, the O-line has so much experience. They're all upperclassmen. This week is going to be a huge test. They've allowed two or more sacks in all but two games this season. And they've allowed four, four sacks the past two games. Marcus uh, Marcus McCluffin and Jordan Tucker are going to have to step up as senior leaders on this O-line. They're the two highest-graded O-linemen on this team. McCluffin with an 82.8 pass blocking grade is by far the best pass blocker on this team. But the number one issue has been pressure up the middle. If you even go back to week one against Virginia Tech, you know, they, they got a lot of pressure from their edge guys because they just have elite edge guys at Virginia Tech. But also there were multiple snaps where Howell was just trying to throw a quick slant. And as soon as he got the snap, the defensive tackle was smacking him. You cannot allow pressure up the middle this weekend if if you are if you're UNC. That cannot happen. Pressure up the middle and breaking down the pocket is one of the worst things you could happen to a quarterback. And so for me, they gotta they gotta shore up the middle of this offensive line. Now, Howell under pressure has been a different quarterback as well. It's only 41% completion percentage, only 370 total yards, six touchdowns, three picks, but a 47.7 passing grade according to Pro Football Focus under pressure. The number one thing is to keep Howell's jersey clean. If they can do that, if that if that beautiful blue for UNC is clean on Saturday, they got a great chance to win. But if he is consistently on the ground or running for his life, the Tar Heels could be in trouble this weekend. Now, for the front seven of the Demon Deacons, they are top three, number three in the ACC in sacks for the season with almost 30 sacks through their first eight games. The D-line has been one of the bright spots of this defense for, for the Demon Deacons, so that's going to be a big X factor this weekend is can they continue that production? They have eight different players with two or more sacks. Luigi uh, Villanen out, out, off the edge is huge with five sacks. He's going to play a big part. Rondell Bethroyd, four sacks, 14 QB hurries. Miles Fox from the defensive tackle spot, three sacks, 12 hurries. And Jasheen Davis, two sacks and nine hurries off the edge. They have so many guys they can rotate in and out, and they're all great pass rushers, and they got some guys that can really get after the quarterback. So if the Demon Deacons can force Howell into some mistakes, get the offense a few more extra possessions, some ex some great field position, the Demon Deacons are going to be in a great opportunity to pull off a huge road win to solidify their resume for the playoff committee. Now, for the prediction, listen, if you've watched this podcast before, you know, if you watched this show before, you know I'm a huge UN. I, I was a huge Sam Howell fan, you know, uh, head of the Sam Howell fan club, as my co-host Brandon called me. But for me this weekend, I trust the Wake Forest defense just to make one stop, man. UNC's, uh, UNC's defense has not been able to step up to the task over the past few weeks. So for me, I trust Sam Hartman just to make a play or two more. I trust the D-line of Wake Forest to get after the quarterback and make one stop. It's going to come down to who can make one stop 
in this game to win. And so I trust Wake Forest right now just a bit more than UNC. I got the Demon Deacons staying undefeated, moving to 9-0 and with a 48-41 win over the Tar Heels. A one-score game, and I think it's going to be a shootout. I think this is going to be one of the best games to watch of the weekend. So tune in at 11 o'clock on ABC, and I cannot wait to see how this one turns out. But a seven-point win for Wake Forest, 48-41 over the Tar Heels. Headed out west to the Pac-12 for one of the biggest matchups of the weekend, and it was made even bigger by last night's college football playoff rankings, you know, revealing where the Ducks moved to number four in the country, right? Right there in the playoff race. So the number four Oregon Ducks are traveling to face one of their biggest rivals, their biggest rival in the division, you know, outside of Oregon State. Washington, man, in in Husky Stadium, which is one of the best environments in college football. You know, I've been I've been vocal about this. That stadium is loud. It's in a beautiful part of the country. That's one of my favorite environments to watch a game. And we get a prime time game, six thirty p.m. Central Time, live on ABC. So this is going to be one of the most watched games of the weekend. And this matchup couldn't be any more important because. A lot is on the line in terms of the Pac-12 race this season. When you look at, you know, this division right now, Oregon only has a one-game lead over three teams tied with two losses in Washington State, Oregon State, and the Huskies of Washington. So this game could really cause chaos if Washington could pull the upset over the Ducks this weekend. But let's set the table before we get to the keys of the game and breaking down some of the matchups. The Ducks come into this one 7-1, and 4-1 one, and one in the Pac-12. They're only lost to Stanford on the road in overtime in a game many people thought the refs could have stole that from them. But Mario Cristobal's team still finds themselves in the thick of that college football playoff race. That Ohio State win is really pulling the Ducks up and propping them up even with one loss. They're currently on a three-game win streak, and this weekend could go a long way in clinching that division and getting them to another Pac-12 championship game. But on the flip side, man, the Huskies come into this matchup 4-4, four and 3-2 four, and two in the Pac-12, and they had a really rough start to the season. You know, they get upset by an FCS team in Montana. They suffer some early losses that in games that they probably should have won. But they've rebounded recently with a two-game win streak, both on the road against Stanford and Arizona. But this Jimmy Lake squad is playing much better football as we enter into this November stretch run. And the Huskies really could have the Ducks on upset alert because in a robbery game, anything can happen. And this environment is prime to be upset central for a top four team in the country. But when you look at the overall series, the Huskies do lead the overall series 60 to 47. They've also tied five times. But when you look at the recent history, this has been the Duck series. They have won 14 of the last 16 games, and they're currently on a two-game win streak in this series. But both of those games in that in that two-game stretch were one-score games, and it just shows how competitive these programs can be regardless of where they are ranked in the Pac-12 or in terms of national rankings as well. So that's that's all the storylines we have, and we've set the table. Let's get into some keys of the game, but we'll start with the Ducks. For me, this weekend lies is, you know, the offensive key for Oregon is to be as balanced as possible. That's where that's where the keys really lie is being balanced because 
this Washington defense is one of the better defenses the Ducks have seen this season. You know, only allowing, you know, they're allowing like 140 through the air. They're less than 180 on the ground. And they have a top 20 scoring defense allowing less than 20 points per game. So the Ducks are going to have to be balanced. They're going to have to run the ball, you know, let Anthony Brown establish his rhythm and be a playmaker for in this offense. And that's how they're going to win this game. Because if you become one-dimensional, Washington's defense is good enough to really make you pay in that situation. Now, luckily, the Ducks have one of the more balanced attacks in the Pac-12. They're averaging over 200 yards through the air and on the ground per game this season. And on top of that, they're averaging three rushing touchdowns per game, which is one of the highest marks of the country. So the number one thing for me, as much as you want to be balanced, is to run the ball. Because when you look at the run game, Anthony Brown's really able to work off of that. And Anthony Brown's legs really help him, you know, be a big part of this rushing game. Now that they did lose their one of their leading rushers in C.J. Verdell for the season. But... This weekend, it's all going to start with Travis Dahman. Over 600 yards rushing, almost six yards per carry, and 10 rushing touchdowns this season. He is explosive. He's one of the leaders of this offense, and he's going to be a focal point to watch this weekend for the Ducks. But they did have a breakout star really emerge last week in, in Byron Cardwell. He had a giant performance with almost 130 on the ground and only seven carries against uh, you know against Colorado last week. He's going to be probably the number one replacement for Verdell this weekend. The Ducks and Cristobal have been looking for someone to establish themselves, and I think Cardwell did that last week. So I would imagine Dye and Cardwell get a majority of the carries this weekend. But when you look at how the Ducks have done it, they have dominated rushing the ball off the left side of the line. George Moore and TJ Bass are two of the best offensive linemen in the Pac-12. Moore is one of the is one of the you know experienced leaders of this offense. Off the left side, they have almost a thousand rushing yards, over six yards per carry, 17, 17 touchdowns off that side, over 45 first downs generated, and over 20 explosive runs generated when running off the left side of the offensive line. So Washington has to be able to somewhat hold up the line of scrimmage. If you let Oregon dominate the line of scrimmage, Oregon's a very, very, very tough team to beat. And so that's one thing you have to do is at least slow down the run game and at least try to make Oregon as one-dimensional as you can. Because if they're balanced running the ball and Anthony Brown gets in his rhythm, the Ducks are one of the toughest teams in the country to beat. But when you when you move to Anthony Brown, I think he's performed better than anyone could have predicted. I've been a huge Thompson fan behind him. But right now, man, Anthony Brown has done his thing this season and has really impressed me with how he's been a real stabilizing force for this offense. His experience also aids in the biggest moments because there's really not a moment too big for Brown, which was evident when they went to Columbus and upset Ohio State. But he's thrown for over 1,800 yards, 11 touchdowns, three picks, has almost 400 yards rushing and six rushing touchdowns. So he's a dual threat type of guy. He's top five in completion percentage, passing efficiency, and top six in yards in the in the Pac-12 right now. But when you look at how they do it, the Ducks do run a lot of underneath passing concepts. That's like zero to nine yards with over 43% of Brown's attempts coming in this range. But what I want to see is them start to evolve the offense to let him start moving the ball down the field a bit more. Because when you when you look at his intermediate to deep ball numbers, 
that's where he really gets going. And when that's clicking, this offense is extremely, extremely hard to stop. When you look at his intermediate to deep balls, 900 yards passing, eight touchdowns, 81.4 PFF passing grade. He's hit 10 big-time throws, and it just adds another level to an already solid offense because they're going to pound the rock. You know, with Da, Cardwell, Brown's going to make some plays with his leg, but then they're going to push it up over the top of your defense, and it really makes it extremely, extremely hard to defend because Oregon has some athletes and wide receivers that can go win one-on-one matchups on the outside. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in some matchups to watch. But those are the keys for Oregon for me. Now, the key for the Huskies, that's going to lie in the hands of Dylan Morris for me. And whether he can get this passing game going this weekend, because when you look at this Oregon defense, they're very strong in the front seven. But they're allowing over 260 through the air per game. So the number one thing for the Huskies to do is avoid turnovers, be efficient, and try to find some holes in the back end of this defense and move the ball down the field. You can set the run up against a strong front seven by establishing the pass first. So that's what I think is going to have to happen for the Huskies. And Dylan Morris is going to have to have a huge game this weekend. Now, when you look at the passing offense, it's really improved, you know, on this two game win streak they've had, but early in the season, this team struggled with turnovers, efficiency, and just overall execution. But this weekend, Morris is going to have to use all the momentum he's built up on this win streak and really put on one of his better performances. But when you look at what he's done, over 1,800 yards, 11 touchdowns, eight picks, and two rushing touchdowns, he's top five in the Pac-12 in passing yards. So he can produce, and he's a solid quarterback. But when you look at how they do it, the intermediate passing game has been the strong suit of this team. Now, he's really thrived in that intermediate game, but they do run a lot of short concepts. But Morris has really struggled with this short game and decision making with four interceptions coming on those short on those short routes, which is 50 percent of his interceptions. And he has not thrown a touchdown on a short passing route concept. So for me working that intermediate game, taking advantage of some of the safeties and linebacker matchups that you can get for the Huskies is going to be key. When you look at his intermediate passing over 400 yards, five touchdowns, only one turnover, has some big-time throws and over 24 first downs generated. When you look at the Huskies, they're going to have to try to push the ball down the field this week because for me, Oregon's secondary is too athletic and too fast to really thrive on underneath stuff because Oregon's fast enough to come up, shut it down immediately, and, they, and they're very solid in open field tackling. So for me, you're going to have to push the ball down the field or they're just going to load the box up. The DBs are going to start playing close to the line of scrimmage, and they're not, if they don't respect your deep ball, it's going to be really tough to move the ball against this Oregon defense. So they're going to have to test these Oregon DBs, and Dylan Morris is going to have to be trusted to make good decisions and not turn the ball over. Now, the rushing attack has had some great moments for the Huskies this season, but there's also been some inconsistent performances in this schedule. But they really have suffered from a lack of depth at the running back spot for me. They're averaging over 120 on the ground per game, but they're only averaging about three and a half yards per carry. You know, Sean McGrew has been a, has been a stud at the running back spot for them. Six touchdowns, almost 400 yards rushing. But outside of Cameron Davis, there's really not a lot of depth behind them. Davis has almost 200 yards rushing, a rushing touchdown. But those guys are really it. 
the Huskies don't have, you know, a stable of bats that they can rely on. So McGrew has to have a big game this weekend. And it's going to be tough because that front seven for Oregon has been extremely stout against the run this season. So those are the keys for these two games. Now, for the matchup to watch, I've really struggled because, you know, it could be either O-line versus the front seven. It could be these quarterbacks, you know, against the secondary. But for me, I'm going with the Washington secondary against this Oregon wide receiving core. Because if the Huskies can make Oregon one-dimensional and be able to load up the box, stop the run, and force Brown into some mistakes, that's going to be the number one way they can win this game. And when you look at the secondary, it's number one in the Pac-12 in passing defense, only allowing 145 yards per game through the air. They're top five in the Pac-12 in INTs with eight, and this is going to be a huge key this weekend for Washington secondary to have a big game. But they did, they have had to deal with a lot of injuries, especially the safety spot, man. Dominique Campton and Julius Irvin have been banged up at safety, but Alex Cook and Asa Turner have had to step up, and Turner really has. Turner has been one of the bright spots for this defense. Only six catches allowed, has two picks, which is one of the highest totals on the team, and he's played really well at that safety spot in his reserve time for the Huskies. Now, the strength of this team, everyone knows it. I've said it on our Pac-12 preview a few months ago. Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie are two of the best DBs in college football right now. I mean, McDuffie has been pretty much tabbed as a first-round pick when he decides to head to the NFL draft. Now, when you look at how they performed this year, it's been they've had some elite production at that corner spot. McDuffie, only nine catches allowed, has not allowed a touchdown this season, and has not allowed a catch over 20 yards this season. And it just continues his good play that he had over the past two years. But then Gordon also has not allowed a touchdown, has two picks, over five pass breakups this season, and has allowed less than 50% of the passes thrown at him to be completed. So these two guys are key this weekend against this talented group of Oregon wide receivers. Now, the other X factor, Brendan Bradley House at that nickel spot, has so much experience. He's explosive, and the type of energy he can bring to the back end of that defense is special. And of course, Jimmy Lake's the head coach. He is a DB guy. I think he's going to have the secondary ready to play for the Huskies this weekend. So the number one thing is no explosive plays and force a few turnovers. If you can get some short fields to help out your offense, that would be huge. And maybe even produce some points from your defense will be key to upsetting the Ducks this weekend. Now, on the other side of this matchup, the wide receiving core for the Ducks have been solid this season. They got a nice mix of youth and experience. You know, you look at senior leader Johnny Johnson at the Z spot, Jalen Red at the H spot, both experienced, experienced leaders. But then you also got young guys like Devin Williams and Micah Pittman that also can go make plays for you. The Ducks rotate four or six guys at each position week in and week out. They have a lot of depth at the wide receiver spot, a lot of playmakers at the wide receiving spot. The number one thing, though, they got to go win these one-on-one matchups. You know you can run the ball well. You know you're going to get some you know, islands out there in terms of you one-on-one with one of these talented DBs. Who can go make a play? 
Johnson, Red, Devin Williams, Micah, Park, Micah Pittman, all these guys have to go make one-on-one plays, make big catches, be explosive, and that's going to be the number one thing to see in this matchup is can this stable of, of Oregon wide receivers go make plays against well, probably, I would say, the most talented secondary they've seen all season, and can Anthony Brown avoid turnovers and avoid mistakes in one of the biggest games of the season for him, but Looking at all this, man, looking at the momentum of these two teams and what they're bringing to the table, for a prediction, I've really struggled because going to Husky Stadium is no easy feat. But right now, I would say due to some injuries in the front seven for Washington, the safety spot being a bit up in the air, Oregon having that, you know, I feel like they got a jolt of motivation and momentum being number four in the country. I think Mario Cristobal is going to have his team ready to play. I think the experience with Anthony Brown is going to play a big role this weekend. And right now, man, until Dylan Morris does it against a team, a good team like an Oregon, I just don't trust him not to, you know, to play mistake-free football. I think Oregon secondary, Bennett Williams and these guys, you know, um, Michael Wright, all these guys are going to make a, a few turnovers happen. I just don't trust Washington to make enough plays to win this game. I still think it's close, especially early, being in prime time. That stadium's going to be rocking. I just have the Ducks pulling out a pulling out a big win this weekend on the road, twenty seven seventeen over the Huskies. First preview is always our game of the week right here on the Blue Bloods, which means if you subscribe, like the video, comment your score prediction below who you think is going to win and give me an exact score. If you get that right, you will win our $50 Venmo giveaway right here on the Blue Bloods. So make sure to do those three things and enter yourself in the giveaway. But we have a gigantic SEC West matchup between two teams who Really and truly, I would have to say are acting as dark horses in this SEC championship race right now. We got the number 12 Auburn Tigers traveling to College Station to face the number 13 ranked Texas A&M Aggies. And the Aggies are a four and a half point favorite right now. And this game will be the CBS SEC game of the week. 2.30 p.m. Central Time kickoff live on CBS, man. But a battle of two six and two teams. Let's set the stage real quick, man. The Tigers come into this matchup off back to back top twenty wins over SEC West opponents and are looking to make it three in the three in a row over some of the top teams in their division. And Brian Harson's team, man, if you would have told, you know, I would say anyone outside of Auburn that Brian Harson's team after that, you know, Penn State loss or Georgia loss, that they'd be sitting controlling their own destiny after, you know, you know, I guess racking up some ranked wins here, that they would have a chance to be in Atlanta. Not many people would have believed you. But here they are with a big game against AM to really set themselves up for a stretch run to that SEC championship game. And it all starts with the play of Bo Nix and Tank Bigsby on the offensive side of the ball, along with the Derek Mason defense. So it just seemed it's really seemed to get better week in and week out and has culminated in some great performances, including holding Ole Miss to their lowest scoring output of the season and holding down Matt Corral to, you know, ending his 19-game streak of a passing touchdown in every game that he has played in. So that is a huge, huge feat for Auburn. Big game this weekend for the Tigers. But on the other side, let's not sleep on the Aggies here, man. Coming in on a three-game win streak of their own, which includes a number a number one-ranked Alabama 
upset in College Station just three weeks ago, and Jimbo Fisher's squad has shown a lot of improvement. A lot of people wrote them off after back-to-back losses to Arkansas and um, Mississippi State, but that two-game losing streak seemed to have woken, awoken something in this team, and it really shows the type of culture that Jimbo Fisher has built at his time at College Station because these guys have another – controlled their own destiny as well. They went out. They will find themselves in Atlanta for the SEC championship if Alabama drops one more game. So that could be huge for A&M. And so really and truly, if they win this game, they're going to be rooting very hard for Auburn at the end of the season to beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl because that will send A&M to the SEC championship game if they win out. So everything's still there for A&M. And with a win here, they could find themselves back in the top 10, guys, where they started out the season, you know, they dropped out after that Arkansas loss, but they have fought and climbed their way back very, very under the radar like these past few weeks with some big wins. So that's the stage, you know, this matchup currently. A&M leads the overall matchup six to five. But outside, you know, when when you look at what this matchup has been when A&M joined the SEC in 2012, it's been competitive. Auburn's won five, A&M's won four. And another interesting note is Auburn has never lost in College Station. That That is insane. And up until, you know, just a few years back, these teams were trading wins. Auburn would win in College Station. A&M would knock them off in Auburn. It went, it went very, very back and forth there. But A&M is looking to defend their home field here with their first win over Auburn at home since they joined the SEC. But let's get to the keys of the game here real quick, man. The key for the Tigers – and, you know, early in the season, I was like, it has to be Tank Bigsby. You have to run the ball. You have to, you know, you have to establish your offense on the ground first to help Knicks out. But right now, with how this offense is looking, I would say the key for Auburn really lies in being more balanced with their offense more than just a run-dominant team. Because we saw last week that when the rushing game with Bigsby – and the passing game with Knicks are both clicking at full capacity. This team is really, really hard to stop. They scored on all but one drive in the first half against Ole Miss. And that was one of the keys last week when I previewed that game is that I wanted to see Knicks and Bigsby put it together in the same week. And they had a, and they both had huge performances. And when you look at this Tigers team, they're averaging over 250 through the air and almost 200 on the ground. So they are very balanced anyway. And that's so important for this Mike Bobo offense that has really evolved. And he's really built this offense around what Auburn does well. And you see this offense evolving slowly but surely. Last week, they unveiled this 12- and 13-man personnel that that just overwhelmed Ole Miss. So I'm assuming Bobo's going to come with some wrinkles in terms of that. But for me, let's start with the rushing attack since since it has to be balanced. It's been the identity of this program for many, many years now. And the Tigers have a very, very strong rush, you know, running back room. They have one of the strongest in the SEC. And this is actually a huge matchup between two great running back rooms. But with Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter, you know, last weekend was one of the better performances on the ground for the Tigers with Bigsby taking the lead. But Jarquez Hunter has showed that he can be the main guy if Bigsby's not, you know, at his best, and he was a little bit banged up for a few weeks, but the, last week was Bigsby's big return. So I'm expecting Bigsby and Hunter to split carries per, pretty evenly this week, depending, you know, trying not to put too much work on Bigsby as he is still just coming off, a, you know, a bit of an injury. But 
Big Speed's rushed for over 660 yards, guys, over five yards per carry and seven touchdowns. He ranks top five in the SEC in rushing yards, while Hunter, over 530 on the ground, still over seven and a half yards per carry, three touchdowns. He's top 10 in the SEC in rushing yards and still leads the SEC in yards per carry. So that is what Auburn's bringing to the table. And AM is going to have to be tough in their front seven and stopping these guys. Because if the, if the running game gets going, Bo Nix has shown the ability over these past few weeks to really take advantage of that. And his wide receivers have been making plays for him. But looking at this running attack, it really starts with one runs off the tackle. They love to run off tackle, and they've been very, very consistent and very, very explosive when they go off tackle. But also running behind all SEC center, Nick Brahms has also been huge for the rushing attack. And just a quick preview, you know, it's not in our matchup to watch, but one of the other matchups that I want to mention is DeMarvin Leal versus Nick Brahms on the inside of that Auburn offensive line. That's going to be a huge matchup to watch because Leal is one of the best defensive linemen in the SEC. So he's going to be I guess, tasked with trying to stop this downhill running attack up the middle for Auburn. When you look at these advanced analytics, man, off tackle, Auburn has run for over 600 yards, six yards per carry, 10 rushing touchdowns, over 35 first downs. It has over 20 explosive runs of 10 or more yards off the edge. That's going to be a problem, and AM's linebackers are going to have to show that they can be disciplined, you know, scrape the line of scrimmage, and really those DNs are going to have to set the edge for this defense. But in terms of A-gap rushing, A-gap rushing up the middle, over 400 yards, over 6.5 yards per carry, 10 explosive runs generated, 4 rushing touchdowns, that's kind of Auburn's bread and butter. We're, we're going to stretch you out to the outside, and then we're going to we're going to go right up the middle on you and put some pressure on the inside of your defense. So their ability to attack all levels and all gaps of the defense is really impressive for Auburn, and that's going to be a key because, for me, the Tigers cannot become one-dimensional against this really good Texas A&M defense. The A&M defense, for me, is really their strength. I think the defense can carry this A&M team a long way this season. This is the best defense I would say Auburn's faced since they faced Georgia over three weeks ago. So that that's the key is they have to be balanced here. They cannot put it all on Bo Nix on the road. But speaking of Nix, the other part of this balanced attack has to be Nix, who I think he's really shifted the narrative of a lot of people on who he is and what they expect. He's been a completely different quarterback since he was benched against Georgia State, has led Auburn since then to huge wins over LSU, their first win in Death in Death Valley since 1999, and huge wins over Ole Miss and Arkansas, both top 20 teams. But since that moment where he was benched, the last two games have been outstanding for Knicks, and I would say some of the best of his career. Before the season, he's still completing over 62% of his passes, over 1,700 passing yards, nine touchdowns, two picks, and four rushing touchdowns. But over the last two games, that's where I want to focus, he's completing almost 80% of his passes for over 560 yards, is averaging over 10 yards of completion, three touchdowns, and three rushing touchdowns. 
He's having one heck of a season when you look at how he responded to the adversity. He's still top six in passing yards, and he's tied first in the conference with the fewest interceptions with Matt Corral, the Hosman favorite, and also Hendon Hooker, who didn't even start for Tennessee till I believe, the third game of the season. So great company there with Knicks. But the biggest thing over these past two games I've noticed is the mid-range passing attack has really evolved for the Tigers this season. They seem to run more of that 12-13 personnel. The tight ends have been getting more involved, and the wide receivers have been able to thrive in those intermediate routes and help them with their drop problems that they had early in the season. On intermediate passes, Nick's has done for over 500 yards, over 30 first downs generated, had a big touchdown, and has a 93.3 pro football focus passing grade, which just shows how efficient he has really been over the middle in that intermediate range. But let's not all give all the credit to Nick's. The wide receivers have improved tremendously for Auburn. They struggled with drops early in the season. And these past few weeks, they've really been on their game. And the tight ends have stepped up in a big way for Knicks and this passing attack. Kobe Hudson's been electric, over 300 yards receiving, over 13 yards per catch. While Demetrius Robertson, in his, you know, he, I don't, I believe he was out last week with the injury, but he had a big game, um, you know, against Arkansas with a huge explosive play. But also, Jan, uh, John Samuel Shanker, 21 catches. Over 270 yards, Luke Deal and Tyler Fromm have been real factors at the tight end spot. All three of these guys are going to be players to watch this weekend for Auburn. But that's the key for the Tigers. Let's get to the Aggies here. For me, the key for them lies on the ground for sure because they have one of the most deadly one-two punches on the ground with Isaiah Spiller and Devin Akane at running back. This Aggies offense works off the rushing attack, and Zach Calzado really benefits from these two guys being on top of their game week in and week out. Because Calzada, outside of the Bama game, hasn't really been a guy to carry the offense on his back. And Spiller and these guys running the ball as effectively and explosively as they do has really opened up some opportunities for Calzada to go make some plays. When you look at this two-headed monster, man, they're averaging almost 200 yards per game, over five and a half yards per carry this season, and for me, is going to be the number one key to get them going against an Auburn defense allowing less than 130 yards per game and less than three and a half yards per carry. Spiller, over 760 on the ground, six yards per carry, five touchdowns, top three in rushing yards, top five in yards per carry. And then a Kane, the backup, man, over 600 yards rushing as well, seven yards per carry and five rushing touchdowns. He's second in the SEC in yards per carry behind Jarquez Hunter from Auburn and is top seven in rushing yards. So for me, the running back battle in this game is going to be one to watch. Is Bigsby and Hunter going to be able to outrush Spiller and a Kane? That's going to be the one of the other matchups to watch this weekend. But When you look at how the Aggies move the ball compared to the Tigers, they've dominated running off the left side of the offensive line. That's anchored by Jameer Johnson, an offensive tackle who's a super senior, has loads of experience. That's going to be something to watch. Can the Tigers slow this rushing attack down? Almost 700 yards, over 7.5 yards per carry, 5 touchdowns, and 20 explosive plays come from running off the left side for the Aggies. So the Tigers have to find a way to slow that down and force the Aggies to put the ball in the air more often than not. But the passing attack, yes, may have been the focal point in that Alabama game is that Calzada might have had the best game of his entire career. But 
He's got to continue to improve with his confidence and execution in this offense. The past two games, he's failed to reach over 200 yards passing, but Spiller and Akane have really carried this offense. So this weekend, if Calzada can respond like he did against Alabama, I think A&M is going to be a really tough team to beat, and they're going to be in a great position to win. You know, for the season, he's only completing about 55% of his passes, over 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns, seven picks, and a rushing touchdown. He's, he's 11th in the SEC in passing yards. But the underrated aspect of his game has really been the deep ball. The Aggies have only taken deep shots on about 12% of Calzada's dropbacks, but that could be something to look into for Jimbo Fisher this weekend because he has to get Calzada in his rhythm and you know get his confidence going for this huge matchup against Auburn. And on those deep threats, he's thrown for over 300 yards, five touchdowns, only one interception, has eight big-time throws and a 91.1 passing grade on passes 20-plus yards down the field. That's going to be key this weekend for A&M is to try to stretch the field against this Auburn secondary that has shown some flaws at this time. But in College Station this weekend, the wide receivers are going to have to go make plays for Calzada like they did against Alabama. And so for me, Anaya Smith, who has 31 catches, almost 400 yards, six touchdowns, and Jalen Watermeyer at tight end, 25 catches, 353 yards, and four touchdowns. Those are going to be the guys to watch this weekend. They're going to have to go be playmakers against this Auburn defense. Outside of Roger McCreary, there's some matchups that I think A&M can really exploit, similar to what Penn State did with Jahan Dotson. So if you're A&M, you know, as much as you want to lean on the run game, you're going to have to make some throws. And if you can generate some explosive plays down the field with Smith or Watermeyer or one of these other burners that you have in the wide receiving room, that's going to go a long way for A&M pulling off a huge win this weekend in College Station. But for the matchup to watch, man, for me, there was a lot I could pick from, but I thought this Texas A&M offensive line against this Auburn front seven is going to be the singular matchup to watch this weekend if I had to pick one because A&M's going to try to pound the football with the rushing attack, but also when they throw it, they're going to have to protect Calzada because when he's under pressure, he turns into a completely different quarterback. And this Auburn front seven, as they've been healthy over these past few games, has really come alive. And against Arkansas, really was the main re- one of the main reasons Auburn pulled out that big win in Fayetteville. And last weekend against Ole Miss, being able to get pressure against Corral was a huge factor in Auburn pulling that game out as well. But for the Aggies offensive line, I thought they performed pretty well this season watching some film on some old games and things like that. They're going to have a tough test this weekend against Auburn's defensive line. But the number one thing about this Aggies offensive line is their size. These guys are massive, and they can move bodies on that on the line of scrimmage, man. If A&M can win this line of scrimmage battle, they're going to it's going to go a long way in determining if the Aggies can pull this game out. And for me, they've only allowed 13 sacks this year. 56 hurries and 75 pressures over their first eight games. But if you're looking for some guys to watch, Bryce Foster at center is going to be a big piece. He's been one of the more consistent offensive linemen this season. Kenyon Green, an All-American at uh, right tackle. He he can move between tackle and guard, but he's been playing right tackle this season. He is going to be a stud. And Jameer Johnson, the super senior I mentioned earlier at offensive tackle, 
all three of these guys are going to have to have big games. You look when you, when I go into this Auburn defensive line, you're going to see these matchups are going to appear at, on the edge and nose tackle slash that. Um, defensive tackle spot for Auburn has been a real X factor for this off- for this defensive line, getting pressure up the middle with some of these new transfers they have in. So this offensive line is going to have to win this line of scrimmage battle for A&M to really feel comfortable in this game. But for the Auburn front seven, they went through some growing pains early on. They've lost a lot of talent over these past two seasons. You look at Derrick Brown, Marlon Davidson, Big Cat transferring out. You know, they lost a lot of pieces. But they've really had some guys emerge as real factors. And and in the linebacking spot, they had some injuries, especially Owen Papo. But with everyone coming back and finally gelling, the Tigers ranked top five in the SEC with sacks with over 22 on the season. And you look at someone like a Derek Hall, four sacks, Andrew Leota with four sacks, and Colby Wooden, a multiple-time player of the week this year with almost four sacks this season, seven tackles for loss, 37 tackles from his D-line spot. Colby Wooden's going to be an X-factor because he has absolutely wreaked havoc for two weeks now on the defensive line against Ole Miss and Arkansas. Arkansas, he was in the backfield and had K.J. Jefferson running for his life all game long. So, Texas A&M's offensive line is going to have to find a way to control this front seven. And at the linebacking spot, the reason I pushed it out to front seven instead of O-line versus D-line is that Kobe McClain and Owen Papo are going to be huge factors for this A&M team. McClain picked up a big sack last week. He's had two sacks on the season. Papo just got back from injury. But McLean leads the Tigers in tackles with almost 70, ranks top three in the SEC. And when Papo's healthy, his speed and athleticism really makes him a different factor when, when defending the run because he is so fast that he can chase down running backs and make plays sideline to sideline. So whoever wins this matchup for me is going to go a long way in determining who comes out with the win. If AM can establish the line of scrimmage, they're going to be in a very good position. But if Auburn can get pressure on Calzada, force them into mistakes, and slow this run game down and force A&M to throw the ball more than they like, that's going to be a problem for A&M in this game, and Auburn's going to have a great chance of winning this one. But for me, man, official predictions, you know, it's always so hard with these types of games. I mean, these teams are so evenly matched because they have strong run games. The quarterbacks have some question marks, but the defenses have been playing very, very strong. They got some solid guys on the D-line and some playmakers in the secondary and a linebacker. But for me, looking at how Auburn's momentum has played into this, coming off of back-to-back rank wins and playing their best football the season and Bo Nix's ability to play big in big-time moments over the past two weeks is going to be the difference. I think Nix has a slight advantage over Calzada to make a play to win this game. I think both running games are going to have a huge game. It's just going to come down to who can make that crucial play in the fourth quarter, and I just don't trust Calzada to make that play or not make a mistake down the stretch to cost A&M this game. So I'm going with Auburn in a very, very close matchup. I have Auburn winning this game 30-23 to over A&M this weekend in College Station in a very, very competitive SEC West matchup. But, guys, Make sure to hit that subscribe button, hit that like button on the video, and make sure to enter our Game of the Week giveaway. Comment your score predictions below, subscribe, and like the video now to enter that giveaway, man. And I appreciate y'all tuning in. We appreciate y'all tuning in. Hope y'all having a great Tuesday. But for right now, man, the Blue Bloods are out.